0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. Good morning. So, this is funny. Um, over the last hour, I showed up at church and I was like, I don't know where my Bible is. Um, and so I've been walking around and looking in my office, went upstairs, went downstairs, looking everywhere for my Bible. And so I called Laura or I texted her and I'm like, Laura, can you see if I left it, you know, if I brought it home and left it there. And so uh, she like found one and brought it. It wasn't the one I normally use, but um, she she grabbed one that was in the place where I normally leave it and brought it with me or brought it with her and gave it to me. So I, I have it here, um, the Bible that she brought. And so Alex prayed. I walk up here and I'm like, there's stuff here on this. Uh, on this pulpit, including this Bible. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I I literally just now did not know where it was, and I'm like, here it is. And uh, so I will preach with this one, and this one will will just hang out there underneath. I'm, so I have a thing about losing Bibles, because I had, um, during COVID, we had a live stream. So we're doing a live stream here, and um, so I could just leave stuff laying around because nobody was in the building throughout the week. And between one Sunday and the next Sunday, um, the Bible that I uh, had been preaching with for years disappeared. And to this day, I have no idea where that Bible went. And I'm, I'm thinking, where could it have gone? That Bible was, nobody was in this building, and you'd have to be a pretty sick person to steal a Bible. Um, <laughs> I mean, we have janitorial people that come in here. So I was just like, I didn't know what happened to it. And so I was like thinking, is this happening again? Did did somebody take a Bible again? But no, here it is. And with that distraction out of the way, we can move on. Good morning, church. How are you today? Feeling good? Well, I'm feeling good. Um, We are going through a series in the Gospel of Luke and Um, Today, we're going to talk about living like Jesus could return at any moment, Um, living in light of the return of Christ, being ready for the return of Christ. Um, That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, In fact, one of the verses that um, we'll we'll look at, Jesus, one of the things that he says is, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect So this is uh, something that's a good thought exercise for us to do, for you to think about this. What would you do differently if you knew Jesus would return tomorrow at 4.37 p.m.? What would you do differently between now and then if you knew exactly when Jesus was going to return and you knew that his return was imminent, that it was going to happen within the next day and a half or so? What would you do if somehow you knew that today was going to be the last full day of your life now if you're an atheist then this life is all you've got you're you're not thinking about eternity because you don't believe in that sort of thing so if you're an atheist then you're going to make the most of whatever time you've got left because this is all you've got you're going to enjoy it because it's all there is um if you know Tim McGraw you know Tim McGraw he's got that song it's like if live like you're dying you know the song um no anybody knew this song Okay, okay. Thank you. Um, I was like, my pop cultural references keep getting more and more obscure the older I get. Uh, so, so I do know this song, and I was just like, Tim McGraw says he would go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, and he would ride 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And he goes on from there, but I, I guess that's uh, important to Tim McGraw. <laughs> But Jesus is not talking about what's on your bucket list. He's not talking about having a lot of fun because you're going to die someday. What Jesus is talking about is living as faithful servants who are watchful, who are anticipating the return of Christ. And this is something that all Christians believe that Christ will return. In fact, it's in one of the ecumenical creeds, the Apostles' Creed says this Jesus ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. So, Jesus is teaching us to anticipate his return and to live faithfully because he is going to reward those who are faithful servants. So, he's telling us we've got important work to do until he returns, and so we should always be ready for it ready to obey Christ in every situation, ready to tell other people about Jesus, ready to stand firm for the truth of the Bible. Ready to make a defense for our faith. Ready to meet the needs of others as we have opportunity. Always ready. Let's dig in. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I want to read the entire text to you, and then I'm going to switch over to technology mode, and we'll, we'll do some markups again. I tried that last week, and uh, I want to keep experimenting with that until you know, see, we'll see if that's something we want to make permanent. But Luke ch- chapter 12. Beginning in verse 35 says this. Stay dressed for action. Jesus is speaking here. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, He will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is God's word. All right, we'll switch to technology. Let's uh, go through this. We're going to look at two categories here. First, we have faithful servants. That's the first section. And then we'll look at faithful managers. So you have ordinary Christians, faithful servants, and then you have leaders, people in Christian leadership. Jesus addresses all of these, telling all of them, you must be ready. That's the message to everyone. But he addresses that message to different types of people. So first, faithful servants. Let's go and look at verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus says, are we up here? All right, here we go. Good. Here we go. All right. Oh, no, come back. Come back to me here. All right. Stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action and... Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Here's the metaphor. The master is away at a wedding feast. And a lot of of times these are like here, you know, we go to a wedding at 2.30 in the afternoon and, you know, it could be home later on that evening. But in the ancient world, um, a wedding feast could go on for days. Um, It it could be long, elaborate celebrations. And so when the master went away, he had these servants in his house. And he left these servants in charge of the house to keep watch over it, to keep watch over his possessions and take care of his, his belongings, to keep everything in order until the master returned from the wedding feast. But since they don't know how long he'll be gone... He could be delayed, it could be any length of time. Since they don't know when he'll return, they need to be ready all the time because they want to have things ready for when he comes back and knocks at the door and they open it to him. So he tells them that they need to be ready all the time. And Jesus is saying in his teaching here, be like those servants who are always ready. How are they ready? Well, one, they stay dressed for action. Two, They keep the lights on. They don't turn the lights out and go to sleep. They keep the lights on. They stay watch. And three, they are men who are waiting. They're watching. They're anticipating his return. So essentially, Jesus is telling them, keep your work clothes on and keep the lights on until I get back. You've got to stay on duty until I return. So for me, whenever I um, finish a day's work and I go home, I go home in the evening Assuming I don't have anywhere that I need to be that night, what I do when I get home as quickly as possible is I change into my relaxation attire, which is sweatpants, um, a a hoodie, and I've got my old man slippers that I'll put on. Um, It's all gray, and Reese calls it a grout fit, (laughs) like a gray outfit. I didn't know that was a thing, but evidently it's like head to toe. It's just all gray, so that's, that's what I wear. But, uh, but I, I come home, and I'm dressed for maximum comfort because I want to relax. I want to hang out. I've got nothing to do except chill in the house and play Mario Kart with Judah. <laughs> and so that's what I'm wearing. I'm wearing my relaxation attire, and my relaxation attire is also my pajamas. So that way, whenever the end of the evening comes, I can just roll on upstairs and get in bed and fall asleep. I don't have to do anything. I just go right to bed. That's, that's how I like to relax. So I'm in my pajamas, meaning I'm not dressed for action. So if, if something happens and I need to, to leave the house for some reason, then I at least need to put on some shoes. But I have to change what I'm wearing in order to go and do the action that I need to do. So I'm not dressed for action. I'm dressed for relaxation because work is done for the day. I don't need to keep watch. I don't have anything I need to do. That's fine in everyday life. Whenever we come home from work, you put on your pajamas and you can relax and go to sleep. That's a normal routine of our life. But that's not fine in your spiritual life. So we're making a distinction here between what you do in your normal life, and Jesus is using a normal life metaphor to apply it to our spiritual life. Spiritually speaking, we don't put on our relaxation clothes. There's no such thing as spiritual pajamas. Where you just relax and you're like, yeah, it'll be fine. I don't have to think about anything. We don't do that because we never get to take a night off from being a Christian. As Christians, we always have to stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. That means we're ready to do something. We never take a holiday from following Jesus. So, what what we're saying here is that you can never stop confessing your sin, you can never stop repenting of your sin. You can never stop believing in the gospel. You can never stop relying on God's grace. You can never stop trusting God in prayer. You can never stop leading your home or your family. You can never stop disciplining your children. You can never stop going to church. You can never stop reading your Bible. You can never stop sharing the gospel with unbelievers. You can never say to yourself, I'm fine, it's fine, I'm in good shape, I'm a solid Christian, I've read the Bible. I've even been on mission trips. I've got some obedience to God stored up in reserve so I can coast a little. I can let down my guard a little. I can can relax now, spiritually speaking. I don't have to be on watch, on guard, dressed for action as a believer. I can flirt with a girl at work a little. It's fine. It's harmless. A little innocent fun. My wife, you know, she doesn't need to know about it. It's fine. It, it's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's just a little harmless fun. It's not going to lead to anything. It's fine. It's, Jesus is not going to be all that upset about it. I mean, he's, he's a big boy. He, he, it's fine. Does this sound familiar? If it does, then maybe you've gotten too comfortable in your spiritual pajamas. You've let your guard down. You've stopped, you've, you've stopped being dressed for action. You've put your spiritual lights on the dimmer switch, and you're not ready for the master to show up. Whenever the master would return home, presumably he would be greeted joyfully with, with, with smiles and a warm welcome from the servants, even if he shows up in the middle of the night. And so we don't want to live our Christian life in such a way that if Jesus were to come knocking on your door, you're, you would be surprised and be like, oh, Jesus, I didn't know you were going to be showing up right now. I'm kind of in the middle of something. Maybe you could come back later. We don't want to live our lives in that way, where if Jesus showed up at our door, he would be ashamed, or we would feel ashamed at what he caught us doing. We never get to take a day off from being a Christian. This side of heaven, we're always one stupid decision away for making a big mess of our lives. So when Jesus says, be ready, he means don't let your guard down. Never let your guard down. Always live as though he could arrive at any time. Next verse, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. So blessed means there is a, there is a blessing, there is a reward, there's something good about The servants whom the master finds awake. They've not gone to bed. They've they've stayed on guard. Now listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, meaning the master, he there is the master, will dress himself for service. That's weird. And have them recline at table. And he, again, here's the master, he will come and serve them the master is going to show up and when he finds the servants doing what they were supposed to do he's pleased with them and so the master comes and he says hey guys you've done a great job I want you now to come come sit around this table I am going to dress myself for service I'm going to prepare the meal and I want to come and I want to serve you I want to bless you reward you For your faithful service. But know this that if the master of that house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. He changes the metaphor a bit here to a thief coming at night. So he's saying the master would not leave his house unguarded. He left the servants there to guard it. And then he says, You also, meaning you, the people, his audience, must also be ready. Why? But the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? That's Jesus. He is the Master. He's the Master here. Is coming at an hour you do not expect. So readiness, our readiness is based on the idea that Jesus could show up at any time. So whenever Jesus comes back, what will, how will he find us? Will he find us faithful? And whenever he does return, he's now back at the house. Now he is there. He is in charge. And he's telling them, now that I'm back, now is the time where you can let your guard down and relax now that you're home. And that's referring to the heavenly state. Whenever we are with him in eternity, that's the time when we let our guard down. That's the time when we're not having to stay awake, stay alert, because we will no longer be inhabiting a sinful world where there are spiritual threats and dangers all around. We'll be in a place of total safety and protection in God's full expression of his kingdom. Then we can let our guard down. But until then, we have to be ready. So Jesus reminds them of the generosity and grace of the master. When he returns, the master will serve the servants. All right, verse 40 or 41. Peter then, he he, uh, jumps in here with a question. He said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? For us, that's the 12 disciples. Or for all, that would be all his followers. So Peter is saying, like, Jesus, is this, are you telling this something that is just an exclusive message for those of us who are your 12, your inner circle? Or is this a general discipleship lesson? Now, what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to shift the focus and, uh, and, and t- give a specific lesson to leaders. So what I've said so far is a message that generally applies to all Christians, all servants. But now we're going to look at Christian leadership because Jesus has a particular message for Christian leaders. And his response indicates that there is a specific application for Christian leaders, which would be um, elders, pastors, pastors or it does generally apply to anyone who is in Christian ministry. So the next section focuses on that. Elders, pastors, people that are in Christian ministry of some sort. And he's going to take the previous lesson about servants, and he's going to apply it to people that are in leadership. They're in ministry. Uh, Particularly elders and pastors, because they're appointed over the church. So the most direct application are to those that are appointed as leaders over the church. So the idea goes like this. If God calls the servants of the house to stay dressed for action, then how much more would the managers of the house need to do so? And if God rewards the servants of the house for faithful service to their master, how much more will he reward the managers of the house? That's where he's going here. And there's a principle at work here This principle is is stated explicitly in verse 48. We'll get to there um, in a few minutes. But the the verse 48, it says, to whom much is given, much will be required. That's the lesson that Jesus, he states the idea at the end, but I'm going to give it to us here now so we can work with it as we're going through the text. So the basic idea of the principle is that God's rewards or God's punishments are in proportion to each servant's responsibility in the household. God's rewards and God's punishments are proportional to each servant's responsibility within the household. And since elders and pastors and ministry leaders have a greater responsibility in the kingdom of God, they will receive a greater reward for faithfulness or a greater consequence for unfaithfulness when the master returns. So Christian leaders are more accountable because God has entrusted more to them. They have a greater responsibility. So they will receive a greater reward, reward if they fulfill their duties faithfully because then they are helping others to do the same. And Jesus goes on. He's going to give four examples of Christian leaders. I tell you what, I want to jump over here. Let me, I want to read to you James chapter 3, which applies the same idea. James chapter 3. Same idea. I had it in my notes and I didn't think I'd have time to get to it, but I want to go ahead and read it now. Uh, Where he's talking about uh, people being teachers. James chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Now teachers, there's a there, there's a formal aspect of teaching, which is like you hold an office, like an elder, pastor. You are one who is a Bible teacher or professor, seminary, Bible college professor. There's the formal position, but also just the to presume to teach someone else the Bible. He said, he said hey, be careful about that. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. What does he mean by that? There is an accountability that comes along with holding an office or performing a function that is congruent with what an elder or pastor does. And that, res- that greater responsibility entails a stricter judgment. Now, here's the thing that we don't know and what the Bible doesn't explain. If it does, it's, it's a verse that I'm not familiar with. But the Bible doesn't tell us, and I don't know how that works out because in heaven we're in heaven. We've reached our eternal reward. So there's not going to be punishments or whatever doled out in heaven because heaven is a place of joy and reward and blessing. Nevertheless, there is some sort of uh, consequential accounting for the way one carried out the duty as a teacher or as a leader. So what I think is most likely the case is whatever reward one might have received will be somewhat diminished if they did not carry out their duty faithfully. That's that's what I think um, that means here. But the principle is still applicable that the greater responsibility of a teacher entails a stricter judgment. All right, so there are four examples here of more or less faithful Christian leaders, and I want to just walk through the text and show you all four of them. Verse 42. This first one, this is the faithful manager. the faithful manager. This is somebody who did a good job. So he's responding to Peter's question, Lord, is this teaching for just us 12 or for everybody? Jesus said, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? Faithful and wise manager, whom his master, that's the Lord, will set, come back, will set over his household. Over his household. So there's a there's a greater responsibility that is given to the one who is faithful as a manager. And the responsibility over the household is to give them their portion of food. Who's them? Them, I think, refers to the other servants because the, the it's a plural and he's talking about um, presumably not, not the master who would be a singular, but them meaning multiple people. So I think it's you're over the household, so you're giving them, which will be the members of the household, their portion of food at the proper time. So a faithful and wise manager is accountable to the master to feed the household, to provide a portion of food at the right time to feed the household. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So we have a faithful manager, and the master of the household recognizes his faithfulness, and he faithfully executed his responsibility to feed the people of the household that the master had entrusted to him. And whenever the master returns, he says, hey, here's my people. They're well fed. They're well taken care of. This manager who was in charge of that, he's blessed And I want to give him even more things. I want to put him over all my possessions. This is reminiscent of the parable of the talents. Where you were faithful with the one who had ten talents, I want to put you in charge of ten cities. You were faithful in five talents, I want to put you in charge of five cities. If you know that text, it's the same idea here that there is proportionality of responsibility and reward. So this is the servant. The faithful manager is a servant in the household, but he's been promoted to management position. And as a manager of the house, he gave the portion of the food to the other servants. They were well fed with a proper diet. Now, some of the commentators that I've read on this, they say that they, they see a connection in this text to John chapter 20 uh, or 21. Excuse me, John chapter 21, where Jesus tells Peter, Feed my sheep. Do you remember that text? If you've heard it, three different times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, of course, Jesus, you know I do. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Come on, Jesus, it's me, I'm Peter. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you cut me deep just now. That hurts. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Commentators see a connection here. Because a faithful pastor or elder is responsible for feeding the congregation. And the feeding is not a potluck or pot providence, whichever the case may be. Feeding a diet, a steady, healthy diet of the word of God. That is what a faithful pastor or shepherd does. They feed them the word of God. That is his biggest responsibility. The highest responsibility of a a pastor or an elder is to faithfully preach and teach the word of God and to make it plain and to make it clear. That's food for God's people. I'll read to you from Colossians 4. This is the Apostle Paul. Just notice some of the similarities in language here. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. That's the same idea as being ready. Being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving And then he says, hey, pray for us too. At the same time, pray also for us, meaning Paul and the other uh, ministry leaders. That God may open a door to us for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. A clear declaration of the word of God is the responsibility of a faithful shepherd, a faithful pastor or elder. And that's what Paul is saying. They say, that's my job. And pray, pray that I can faithfully execute my responsibility. And so what Jesus is promising here is a reward for those that do this. He he promises to give them even more responsibility as, as the reward of their faithful ministry. So that's the first guy. The first guy is the faithful manager. Now let's look at the second guy. This guy is the wolf. So we're going from one extreme to the other. So you have the faithful manager, and then you have the wolf, and the next two are in the middle. So we're on one extreme, now we're going to the other extreme. But if that servant says to himself, which servant? This is the servant that's put in charge of the master's house. My master is delayed in coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. This is hard. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So this is the opposite extreme. This is an unfaithful pastor. And he's abusive to God's people. He's not feeding them. In fact, he's deliberately starving them. He's the one eating and drinking and getting drunk himself. He's not sharing. He's taking it all for himself. And so the wolf takes advantage of the master's absence, and he says, he's delayed. He's not coming. I'm not worried about him showing up. He's delayed. He doesn't think that the master will ever return. And so he claims the master's house for himself and the master's possessions for himself, And the master's people for himself. And he says, I want to just take them all for myself. They're going to serve me now. I'm going to be the master. And the thing about the wolf is he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows it's wrong. And he does it anyway because he is a wicked man. Or in some cases, a wicked woman. But he is is a wicked man. And the wolf is dangerous because he doesn't fear God. He said the master is delayed, meaning the master's not going to show up. I'm not worried about him showing up here. He's delayed. Who knows what he's off doing? I'm not worried about that guy. He's not coming. So all the stuff that he's left behind, I'm going to take it now. This is my stuff. And the church, for him, is simply an opportunity for him to seize power. And what he doesn't recognize is that the house, or in the case that Jesus is referring to, the church doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the master. The church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. And Jesus gave instruction about how the church is to be run. And he doesn't have the right or the authority to alter that. He doesn't have the authority to just sort of change things on a whim because he wants to. It's Jesus' church. It belongs to him. His responsibility is as a steward, not an owner. So he needs to obey his master. But whenever you have wolves like this, they obtain power in churches. They end up treating them like their own personal kingdoms. You can see there's, there's examples of this all over the world where you have so-called Christian ministers who use just enough Bible to get credibility with people, but they're wolves. They, they mislead people. They teach false things and they take the money of the sheep, they manipulate people into building their own personal kingdom. They use and deceive God's people to get them to serve their own agenda and not the agenda of the master. And so, just just to be clear about this, these are fake Christians, they're counterfeit Christians. They're not true believers. We will not see them in heaven. How do we know that? Well, the last verse, I think, makes it pretty clear. Verse 46 here. The master of that servant will come when he does not expect him, and at an hour he doesn't know, and will cut him in pieces. So there is the destruction of the body and will put him with the unfaithful. There's the destruction of the soul. It seems pretty evident to me that this man is not a believer. And yet, this man has the title of pastor, elder, ministry leader, missionary, evangelist, whatever. But what is he doing? He's not doing the master's will. He's doing his own will in the master's name, and he's hurting people. He's lying to them, and he's using them and taking their money that they are giving, presumably in a desire to to further the kingdom, but he's enriching himself. And it's not, I mean, it could... The most obvious examples are the, the private jet guys. You know, these guys that, you know, they, they fly around a private jet. Um, but you, there are any number of versions of this that don't require billions of dollars. And that kind of, it's, it's, it's the heart attitude of this is mine. I want to do what's mine. I want to serve my own agenda, and I don't care about, care about the people. So they're false prophets, false shepherds, and they're condemned in Scripture. In one way, ordinary servants the first group of people that we talked about towards the beginning of the message, the way that we can keep ourselves ready is to be, is to be watchful of that. So to, to be a little more careful about anything that you might read on the internet or that any, any preacher that's on TV. I don't know if that's really a thing in, in y'all's generation, but in my generation, that was a big deal. It's like you have these guys that have these big... Big, uh, huge TV, media ministry type of things. But just to be careful about that. In our day, there's no shortage of unserious pastors like this. They don't fear God. And Jesus has these strong words for them. The master will cut them in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That's the wolf. Here's the next kind. This guy, we'll call him the hired hand. The hired hand. And that servant who knew his master's will, so he knows it, he knows what the master wants, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. I think this is a Christian... But this is a Christian that is disciplined by God for his unfaithfulness. He knows the right thing to do, but he doesn't do it, not because he's a wolf. The wolf seems like a different person, a different category that is cut off and or cut in pieces and put out with the unfaithful. This, this guy gets a severe beating. And now, again, we're talking about being in heaven, and I don't think there's going to be beatings in heaven. <laughs> that would really mess with my theology if there were beatings in heaven. So assuming there's no beatings in heaven, there is, there is a proportional discipline. So this man might believe as though he's doing great stuff or believe that, you know, he might think highly of himself, but um, when in fact God is disappointed in his ministry. And so he says that uh, he knows what to do. He knows the right thing, but there's any number of reasons. I mean, we're not given the reason, but he does not get ready and he does not act according to God's will. And so that's the consequence. He receives a beating. James four seventeen says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, exact same scenario, you know the right thing to do, but you fail to do it. For him, it is sin. That's this guy here. He's the hired hand. He's guilty of negligence. Not, he's not as guilty as the wolf, but he is guilty of negligence And what this reminds me of is the hireling the hired hand and that's john chapter 10. so i want to show you john chapter 10 and this is jesus's famous teaching on the good shepherd jesus is the good shepherd and so he says of himself i am the good shepherd what does the good shepherd do he lays down his life for the sheep now he's contrasting himself with the hired hands he who is a hired hand And not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He sees danger coming. And he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because, now here we're given a motive. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That's what's up with a hired hand. And so there are, there are um, ministry leaders that are like this. They're, they're driving in It's like it's like a, you think of somebody who's been in ministry for a long time, and they're like, it's not really, uh, I don't really care about this. I don't really care about these people, but uh, I've got to collect a paycheck. <laughs> so it's my job. I've got to do my job. Not really qualified for anything else. I've been doing this for 25 years, so I've got to hang in here and, uh, you know, collect my paycheck. But I'm not doing it because I really, I really believe in, in what I'm doing. So it's his job to know. He knows what to do. That's his job. But whenever the job gets dangerous, he ducks out. Because he's only in it for the paycheck. He's not collecting hazard pay. You know, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm not in for all this pain and suffering for ministry. You know, I wanted kind of the easy life in ministry. So he's not actively trying to harm the sheep. That's the thing. It's a subtle distinction. He's not trying to harm the sheep, but he's not willing to suffer harm for them either. He wants easygoing, you know, comfortable ministry. And it could be because he lacks courage. It could be because he's lazy. It could be because he's afraid of a bad reputation, fear of man. It could be anything. We don't, we don't know exactly what's going on there. But it seems to me like he's a true Christian, but he's just not, he's not faithful. He's not faithful. All right, here's the last one, the last category. Number four, this is the ignorant. But the one, here's another one, who did not know. He did not know the right thing to do, and so he did what deserved a beating, Whoops! Will receive a light beating. So he did the wrong thing, but he didn't know that he was doing wrong because he was ignorant. So this is a pastor, a church leader who was unfaithful because he was ignorant of the master's will. We have a partnership with uh, Vision Nationals. Um, Some of you may know Arjuna, that has he's preached here before. He's a friend of mine. He's in India, in Vishakapatnam, India. And Arjuna, he has planted hundreds of churches. And these churches are like little churches in villages that are scattered along the countryside. And a lot of these uh, villages, you don't have access to uh, high quality education, certainly not seminary level education. So once a year, Arjuna will host a Bible conference and these pastors will come and receive training. And, and then he has American pastors uh, like me and some other guys that I've known will come over there and we'll do training. And that's an extremely humbling experience, because I, I went to Southern, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and there's books upon books upon books upon books. There's training. There's like top-notch, world-class theological education that I've benefited from. And I go over there, some guy that is much younger when I went than many of the pastors that are there. And these pastors will come, and they will sit for hours upon hours, sit and listen at the feet of these young hotshot seminary grads. And that's what they got. That is their theological training. They have a Bible that may not be translated all that well into their native tongue. And they've got a little bit of training that they'll get once a year and they soak it up. So I'm thinking, these men these men are faithful men. They love Jesus. They're first generation Christians, uh, most of them saved out of Hinduism. So they don't have the benefit of a christian upbringing of a child going to vacation bible school and awanas and, and these kind of things sunday school learning all their whole lives and really having a a rich knowledge of scripture and theology they've just got they've got a kindergarten level a, a theological education but they need they need pastors they need shepherds and so they are deployed and they are set over these little households these spiritual households these churches Now, these men are going to make a lot of mistakes because they don't know better. But they're not malicious or lazy. They're ignorant. So the Old Testament makes a distinction between intentional and unintentional sin. And that's what's going on here. Like, they're not sinning intentionally necessarily in their faithlessness as shepherds. It's an unintentional error. It's it's similar to what Jesus prayed when he was hanging on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive these guys. They don't know what they're doing. They did not know that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. And so Jesus prayed. They don't know. They're ignorant of the gravity of their sin. And Jesus prayed for them. It's the same idea here. So this man did not do his master's will, not because he was unwilling, but because he was uninformed. All right, here's the last verse. This is the principle I mentioned to you earlier. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. So the much that is given corresponds to a much that is required. And from him they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So the principle is that everyone is held accountable according to what they've been given. God hold, and that's, that's a principle that applies to everyone. We are held accountable as stewards of what God has given us. And so if we were to take three minutes and just take inventory of what we have been given... As modern Christians in the Western world, we'd be blown away to just, it's a staggering amount of resources and tools that God has given, especially Christians. I mean, you've got in your pocket right now, how many translations of the scriptures, whatever kind of version you want, you've got, we have so much access to resources and tools and these are gifts, and we're, we are accountable for them. Matthew Henry, let me read you this quote. He said, To who, whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required, especially when it is committed as a trust he is to account for. Those who have greater capacities of mind than others, more knowledge and learning, more acquaintance and converse with the Scriptures, being, meaning being conversant or knowledgeable of the Scriptures. To them much is given, and their account will be accordingly. All right, well, let's talk about the gospel as we finish up here, all right? Let's be reminded that the stewardship that has been entrusted to us is the gospel of God's grace. The treasure that we guard, the the, the thing that God has given to us is not a religion of works where we earn our salvation by being faithful to something. We don't earn our salvation by being good. Rather, our treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we are saved by grace, not by our own righteous deeds. So we're not saved by doing good things or being faithful. We're saved based on our faith in Christ and his righteousness. And he loved us and gave himself up for us and for our salvation. So these words that Jesus has I mean, it's when you hear about you're accountable for the things that God has given you, that's, yeah, it could be a heavy weight. It could be a heavy thing to consider, and we should consider that, because this this is the words of our Lord. But we have to remember, we have to take heed that what we're clinging to is the grace of Christ, not our own obedience. Our faith is not in our obedience. Our faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has the power to make us obedient, and that's a very important distinction. So if you examine yourself, or if we've been sitting here today, as I have done, as I've prepared this week, if we examine ourselves and realize, I've not gotten myself ready, I have not lived in light of the return of Christ. I have not been dressed for action. I have not been faithful. What do we do then? Well, we don't give up. We don't throw in the towel. I'm like, well, I guess, it's too, I, guess I should just prepare for my severe beating or whatever you might think you could get. That's not what you do. What you do is you get yourself ready. You repent of your unreadiness. You repent of whatever way you've been unfaithful. And you trust in the grace of Jesus that covers you and washes you in his blood. And you are pure and spotless as a bride. And then you receive that grace and you cling to that grace and that's what makes you ready. So we run back to the gospel time and again. We don't despair. We repent. We don't throw in the towel. We receive mercy. So even as I've been preparing this message, I'm just like, God, help me. God, help me. I, I see the responsibility. And that's a, that's a weighty thing. That's a, that can be a terrifying thing. And so my God, help me. And we should all pray that way. God, help me. Help me to stay ready. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be, to be faithful with what you have entrusted to me. And so our readiness is a posture to receive strength from him to keep going. So we run back to the gospel, throwing ourselves on the mercy of Christ, receive his forgiveness. Recognizing and in every way that I've failed and not be ready, not been ready. I'm in need of grace, and that's we return to that grace, and that's why we're here. You are here today, hopefully not because of how great you are, but because of how great our Savior is. You're here today, saying, "God, I'm crawling my way like through a desert on the way to an oasis, and I come in here begging for your mercy to feed me, to give me drink, because I have nothing to offer." I've not been ready I've been unfaithful I repent of that I need your mercy I need your grace and in that act of believing the gospel rehearsing the gospel hearing it singing it eating it feasting on it that is how we make ourselves ready we receive from him we take the grace that he has offered to us and we believe it so we worship a God who saves sinners not the righteous any of you who are righteous in here today you can go ahead and hit the door you don't need to be here It's a waste of your hour and a half. But for the rest of us sinners, we need to be here. We need to receive the grace of God. He saves sinners, not the righteous. He saves those who are unfaithful and unprepared and not ready. He saves us, and then he tells us, hey, you cling to that. And the more you cling to that, that's your readiness. So we are washed in his grace, we delight in it, and we respond with a heart of joy and gratitude that he's covered it all, he's paid it all, he's forgiven us, he's made us clean. And as we delight in that, That sets our hearts and prepares our hearts. So that way, whenever the master comes and he opens the door, I'm like, it's Jesus. It's our Savior. It's our master. He's the one that loves me. Even though I was a filthy, rotten sinner, he loves me. I'm excited to see him. I'm not at all worried to see him. I'm not at all afraid because I've been waiting for him. We're like kids waiting on Christmas. He's almost here. It's a day closer. Another X on the calendar. It's almost here. Our Savior is almost here. The Lord of grace is coming. He's almost here. We're thirsty with anticipation, eager for his arrival. We're on the edge of our seat thinking he could be here any moment. I can't wait till he arrives. And when he comes, he's going to knock. He's going to open the door, and we're going to see him face to face. We're going to look him in the eye. And I pray that he will say to each one of us, with a smile on his face well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master let's pray our Lord Jesus we thank you that you are faithful where we are faithless that you are strong though we are weak that you are good though we are bad you are righteous though we are sinful May God be true, though every man a liar. We thank you, Jesus, and we celebrate you, the faithful one, the master of the house, and we're excited and eager and we cannot wait for your return. Prepare our hearts for your return. And may this feast of the grace of God, the gospel, the communion that we celebrate now, may this prepare our hearts for your return. That we can be excited and eager in anticipation of your return. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for Eric, Tuff, and Sam. May we be faithful shepherds. Help us, God, to keep ourselves ready, to be faithful with the stewardship you've entrusted to us so that we may all be a faithful church. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace. We worship you now. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.